Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Greetings, beloved, and welcome to the inaugural podcast of Our Resolute Hope. My name is John Russin, and I'm here with my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. Hello, my friend. How are you? It's a great day in the kingdom. <laughs> it's a great day in the kingdom, to be sure. Uh, I'd rather be in it than out of it, um, because we certainly are experiencing life in a fallen world, just like Jesus promised. But the glory is at the same time we get to experience the life of God. And I wouldn't want to be in this world without that. And I know you wouldn't want to be either. We have walked together for a long time, uh, iron sharpening iron and uh, trying to lead each other to the face of God in the midst of a fallen world that can uh, hurl itself against us at times. So great to be here with you, John. Thank you, my friend. Well said. Uh, it's an honor to be here with you as well. We have walked together for so many years, and this really is a new endeavor for us. We're launching this new podcast for Our Resolute Hope. We've talked about it. We've prayed about it for quite a while. Uh, Frank, what do you see as, as its main goal? Why do you think we should, we're doing this? Well, John, I think to provide an honest look at what it means to live in a fallen world and yet have God meet us there with all that he is. You know, I don't want to ever uh, convey a, uh, a euphoric bliss in this journey. I think, you know, one of the things that Paul said was fight the good fight of faith. And the Greek there literally is agonizing the good agony. And uh, that's what I want to be about. I want to be about honestly tackling life in a fallen world with a God who promises to go on this journey with us. And uh, that's what I want. I want people to find a very real God in the very midst of a real fallen world. And I know that's what you want to be about too. Well said, my friend. There are so many aspects of this daily walk of ours as saints that are confusing, troubling, fearsome, and as we launch this podcast, in my heart, I, I'd like to address these issues from a new covenant perspective. Because if Christ is my life, and he is, because he tells me he is, how shall I live? How shall I respond to some of the whirlwind nightmares that I see every day in life? How can I walk in faith in the fallen world? So today, my friend, we're going to begin by touching on a very relevant, very pertinent topic for today. It's the topic of fear. Seems like that's all we hear these days. There are fears about a virus, fears about health, economic fears, uh, mental health fears, uh, pressures, stresses, abuses, suicides. Before we begin, Frank, I want to ask you just for a moment to define fear. How do you see fear, Frank, in the lives of believers? That's a that's a great question. I, I, incidentally, you know, I just had something come across my desk, John, and it said that 
I think the statistic was 47% of Americans today are experiencing anxiety at a level that would qualify them as clinically anxiety filled in 1950. So that's huge. Um, I, th I think I would define fear as anything that takes my eyes off of God as my security and places me into the experience of insecurity in my soul. Um, that's probably how I would define it. Something that uh, is replacing God as that which has, should have the attention of my life. Well, fear definitely is an emotion. Mm -hmm. And we were created with emotions. You know, God is emotional. Jesus exhibited emotions when he was on earth. And so if we feel fear, it's an emotion and emotions are God given. Why does father state so plainly in the old Testament? In fact, more than 50 times he says, fear not. So what does he mean when he says fear not, when it almost seems like he's saying, turn off your emotions but we know that's not true. So what's your perspective on that? Yeah, that's a great question and a great insight because, you know, if you look at Jesus in the garden before he goes to the cross, he is experiencing tremendous anxiety or what you could call fear of the cross, and rightfully so. But he goes on in the context there to say something that's very profound. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. And I think that's the key to this statement that God makes so often, fear not. I don't think he's saying don't feel fear, but if you look in the context of all of those passages, especially like the one with Joshua, he, he goes on in the context, really, I think, to say don't act on your fear. Don't let that fear dominate you, control you, cause you to make a decision that is not in accordance with God's will. He, to, to not, if he was saying to us, don't feel fear, he would be telling us to not be human, um, which I don't think he could do because he's the one that created us to be human. So I think what he's really saying there is don't act on your fear. Uh, let it drive you to God and faith in him instead of away from God and trusting in some other entity to be your strength and deliverance. You know, Frank, for years we have recited this little, uh, this little ditty and we recited it to ourselves, to our kids, to our friends, to our counselees. I know how I feel. But what is the truth? Sometimes the events that fuel our emotions, our fears can be so overwhelming. And it's hard to hear the truth sometimes in amidst these fears. We look at a perfect example of this as we begin this, uh, this series. Way back in Deuteronomy 1.21, we have Moses. He's recounting the times where Israel sent 12 spies to check out the promised land. And Moses said to them, look. The Lord your God has set the land before you. So go up, take possession as the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you. And here's the key. Fear not, neither be discouraged. It's almost like he's given them a warning. You're going to be afraid. You're going to be discouraged. 
but go up anyway. So we know what happened, don't we, Frank? How did those spies pan out as they walked through that land? Yeah, it's really fascinating when you bring that one as the first one to bring into our discussion, John, because what it really is, I think, in terms of feeling fear, is a vision issue. You know, the, the 10 spies had eyes to see the big cities, the big task, uh, the big people, you know, the Anakim were there, the giant race, and that's what occupied their vision. And then feeling fear, they lacked the faith to see God. And I think that's really what the source of this thing is. Are you going to have to eyes to see how big God is or how big the circumstances are? And I think coupled with that is how little we are to face those circumstances. We look at our resources and go, uh, it's not there. Um, we're not big enough. And that's exactly what happened to those 10 spies. Only those two, Joshua and Caleb, had the vision, the eyes to see God as bigger than the task at hand. Indeed, you are right. And sometimes, in fact, maybe more than sometimes, maybe most times, we think that when we fear and we fail to act in faith because of our fear, we have the belief that, well, it's no big deal. God's bigger than all these circumstances, and he is. And he can overrule all my mistakes, and he can. But looking back at that specific example, my friend, there were pretty severe consequences because of their fear. Because their fear didn't stop at fear. It would have been bad enough if it had, but it led them to mistrust their God, and it led them eventually to non-belief. Look at what happened to them. They wandered for 38 more years until everybody 20 years of age and older perished in the wilderness. In fact, the 10 spies who said, let's not go, they perished very quickly in a plague. And mm. so they were pretty dramatic consequences for these folks. Uh, it, so it wasn't a non-eventful decision that they made. There really were some consequences. Uh, but, you know, God is bigger than all of that, but boy, it sure impacted their lives, didn't it, Frank, when they chose to say, Pick a new leader. We're heading back to Egypt. Yeah, it, their vision problem kept them from experiencing the kingdom right here and now. And if you don't have eyes for the kingdom, you will have eyes for the world. And, and that's kind of what happened to those 10 guys. They were, and the rest of the nation, of course, they were still in the lap of God's love. Uh, he didn't reject them. But as a father, I think there was real grief in his heart at what his kids were going to have to experience because they had fear. They gave reverence to something, someone bigger than God was. And But I had to have grieved the father's heart. He says, that's not what I would have chosen for you, but that's what you've chosen for yourself. And that's a tragedy. Indeed, especially looking at all that they had experienced thus far since they were delivered from Egypt. 
Uh, we'll talk about some of these as we go through these, these scriptures. But uh, truly, indeed, they set their sights on other than God. So as we begin to walk through this, Frank, we're going to look at several accounts in scripture, real world, real people accounts, in which believers exhibited plainly how not to manage fear, the results that their fears had on their daily lives and their walk with their father. So we're going to begin with Judges chapter 6 and the naming of Gideon as a judge. We're familiar with this in Judges mm. 2. We see that because the Israelites feared the Midianites, which was the local thug gang at the time, Judges chapter two, or Judges chapter six, verse two, they feared the Midianites, and consequently they gave up their homes and they lived in caves. So fear is driving this. What's going on here, Frank, in the minds of these Israelites uh, facing these enemies? Well, you know, when they put their eyes on their enemies instead of God, their enemies got even bigger than they really were. Yes. And that forced them into a life that God had never chosen for them. You know, as soon as you mentioned Gideon, I had that thought in my mind of him threshing the wheat down in the valley. Yes. And, you know, down in the valley, there's no wind. That, so there's going to be no separation of the chaff from the grain. And he lived a life of futility uh, because of the lack of faith in God, which would have had him thresh that wheat up on the hill where that wind would come into play. But again, because of fear, he failed to experience life the way God wanted him to. And that's so tragic when you give allegiance to something other than God. It, it's going to have a, a paralyzing effect on you, a destructive impact in your life. And uh, it's just not the life God would want you to live. You know, he led them into the promised land. And here they are, because of fear, giving up their homes, living in caves. So basically, their fear cost them the rest and their comfort that God had promised them in the promised land. They lost, they gave up their ability to relax and be totally at peace with what their father was providing. Now I know that uh, when the enemies appear strong, it can be hard to set your mind on the truth. That's why Hebrews 4 tells us it's, it's a labor, it's hard work to enter into rest. But these folks made that choice and they begin to sacrifice very, very early in this chapter. And as we read on in Judges chapter six, we see further costs because of their fear. We see in the, that the Midianites took their food and destroyed what remained. So basically because of their fear, they not only lost their homes, lost their comfort, lost their rest, but they found themselves hungry and poor with no food store. So basically they had no future. So this is another damage that the fear did to them. You know, not knowing the consequence, they feared and this is what happened. So what's, what's, what drives a person to make that kind of choice, Frank? Well, you know, that is, that is a very powerful observation because 
the consequences of not trusting God, of walking in your fear, are so multifaceted. That fear isn't just going to affect one area of your life. We're seeing in the lives of those Israelites, it affected almost every area of their life. And that's what fear does. It, it paralyzes, it destroys, it, um, it hinders you from receiving all that God would want you to receive as his child. And, and it's just so tragic. But it's so easy to do. Uh, that's the thing that I would want to uh, point out. You know, it's, it's so very easy uh, to take your eyes off of God and, in, and look to other than God. There's a fascinating insight in 1 Thessalonians. It says that he calls us. I think that's that's incredible because it's a present tense, which means he calls and he calls and he calls and he calls. So he's constantly calling us. And you say, well, why would that be? Well, because like the old hymn writer said, we're so prone to put our eyes on other than him. Um, I, I'm As I think of that, I think of Psalm 23 when it says he leads us in paths of righteousness, John. And the Hebrew there is really fascinating. It's well-worn paths. So in other words, other people have gone down that path of trusting God. They have been in the lab. They have proven that trusting God is the right path. And yet incredibly, the, the psalmist says, I still need to be led there. Um, it's, it's not the path that I tend to choose to trust God. And I think that's the direct result of the fall, where that lie that I shall be as God. And so the tendency of man is to say, either I've got this and I don't need you, God, or I can't do it, but I'm still not going to trust you, God. I don't think there's a human being on the planet that understands how devastating that lie has been to humanity that we shall be as God and, and having to conquer life in our own resources, either successfully or unsuccessfully. And, and it's really devastated humanity. And this is exactly what we see here, my friend. They gave up their present, their home, their comfort. Uh, they gave up their food. They gave up their future. It's like they, mm. traded, they traded everything. They traded God's blessings and the promise of his miraculous provision for all their needs. They traded all that for a false feeling of safety and security. Mm. And this is common today. Just watch the news, Frank, for 10 minutes. And you will see this, the things that we will do, the things that we will give up, turn our backs on just to feel safe and secure. It's, uh, it's truly, it truly shows how much we may say we love and follow God, but sometimes we really struggle in walking that walk of faith. Yeah, it's really a false security when we put our security in anywhere anything other than God. It, it doesn't ultimately deliver. 
And, you know, when you look at Gideon, I don't know if we're ready to move on yet, but even when God steps in, and I, I love that part of this chapter, uh, God's love is so great. He doesn't leave them there. Um, he says, I'm, I'm going to deliver, and here's how I'm going to do it. And then he goes, send those men home and send these men home and, and whittle it down to 300 guys and, and poor Gideon. It's so funny, you know, when that angel first shows up and says, hail valiant warrior. Yeah. <laughs> I can see Gideon looking well, around the room please? going, who are you talking to? But that is so precious that God still in our lack of faith identifies us with our true identity, even when we don't identify ourselves with our own true identity. Indeed. That is simply amazing and encouraging to me that even though we act in a false identity, God says, I know who you really are, even if you don't know who you really are. And that is just huge to a human heart. And it's interesting that he is using this fearful, disruptive, awful, life-threatening circumstance with the Midianites to bring that out in Gideon. Let's go ahead and look at Gideon. We see him in chapter 11 of number six. You've mentioned this already. He was threshing his grain in a wine press. Instead of doing it on a hill, he was doing it in a valley. And so I've been to the parts of the world where they still thresh grain with the wind. And uh, of course, now they use mechanical fans largely, but mm. the point is to get all the straw and all the hulls and all the basic uh, plant trash out of the grain, out of the food. And by threshing his grain in a valley, in a wine press, he's going to get a really crummy quality of grain. So even the food that father miraculously provided is going to be poor quality. It's going to be less nutrition. It's going to hurt his family. He just sacrifices one thing after another in order to gain a little tiny bit of safety or the false appearance of safety, as you said earlier, because we can trust only in our father. We can't trust in any Midianite that causes us fear because mm. they are totally untrustworthy. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's so powerful that that God step when He does step in, to He He not only leads Gideon to an understanding of his own identity, but by whittling down his resources that were available to him, He also, in a very real way, proved Himself to Gideon and established his own true identity in Gideon's eyes. You know, that, that I'm the one you need to look to because I'm the one who's strong and I'm the one who's faithful and I'm the one with the resources. And I just love, John, that, that God did that to a man who had so little faith. And boy, that, that just really encourages me because I can really identify with that, you know, um, that he's, I, I don't have that gift of faith. And, and yet God says, 
but I know who you really are and I know who I really am and I'm going to help you understand who I really am and I'm going to help you understand who you really are. And whatever you're going through right now, Gideon, this is not the end of the story. And I'm going to see to it that it's not the end of the story. And you are going to function in life as that valiant warrior I made you to be, even though right now, you're walking in fear and don't understand any of what I'm trying to communicate to you. It's huge that God is so gracious and patient like that. But that first step, my friend, can be very difficult. Oh. First step to trust is to step out when every fiber of your emotional being is screaming, no, go back in the cave and live on what you can grub together for you and your family. Somehow make it work. It takes a tremendous amount of courage to step out in faith, even a small amount of faith, like a grain of mustard seed. I mean, I, I look at Gideon, and as fearful as he was, he stepped out. He gulped, mm. gritted his teeth, and said, yes, sir. Okay, let's, let's do this, but I'm scared to death. Father said, I know, son. I know. Just trust me. And that's a word for all of us today, my friend, as we... And we walk through life with all of the turmoil that surrounds us, no matter how paralyzed we might feel, no matter how big the giants might seem. Father says, I got this. We're in the valley of the shadow of death, but you know, fear no evil because I'm right there with you. No matter how we can be paralyzed by fear, we have a God whom we can trust and he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. We ain't never going to be alone. Frank, great time today. What are your parting thoughts as we have this first session on fear? Well, we, I think you nailed it at the end, John. We have to take that step. If we don't take that step of faith over and against what we feel, we're not going to experience that deliverance. Gideon had to take that step and send those men home when God revealed that. You remember that story? Yeah. I mean, I think I'd have been going after him going, wait, come back, come back. Uh, he said, send those guys home. And uh, that's that step. I think Juan Carlos Ortiz, you know, made this great illustration. He said, you've got an automobile. You've got this big, powerful V8 engine that goes vroom, but that engine is not gonna come to life until you turn the key. And he said, turning that key is the faith, that step of faith that activates that V8 vroom of the life of God in your own life. You've gotta turn the key. And our savior encouraged us when he said it takes Faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, which is a very, very small seed. So this can be, I'm gritting my teeth, Father. I'm scared to death, but gulp, I trust you. That's, that's all it takes sometimes. And so it's been a great, great time, my friend, today. That's it for today. During our next podcast, we're going to continue our discussion on fear and uh, some of the examples that we see in Scripture, its effects on Christians. Uh, we're going to continue this during our next podcast. Until then, uh, again, this is John Russell, along with my dear friend, Pastor Frank, encouraging you to walk close. And when things get really scary, lean in closer.
Have a great day. Amen. Bless you. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.